On Wednesday evenings, we've been sharing in a Bible study on uh, spiritual disciplines, and this past week, we dealt with the, uh, the aspect of conforming to the likeness of Christ, and uh, a very great part of that is this part called struggle, or it could be, as we have seen in much of the music and in much of our thinking so far, in that trying that God puts us through. He tries us like silver, gold. And I'm always reminded when I think in terms like that of God's trying a man, that uh, there was a man by the name of Job in Old Testament days, and he said, when he, speaking of his God, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And he was talking about the trials of his life, the struggle. And um, it wasn't a sad expression. It was a joyous thing because when we see our trials in light of the greatness of our God and his eternal purposes, we find ourselves being able to say, praise God, your way is perfect. It's perfect. And I know that uh, as we've come through this difficult time of COVID and the, the year, and all the, the things that seem to be spinning off, uh, all those things in our lives, while we need to have this assurance that in the midst of the struggle, God is doing something. He's accomplishing His great purpose. And we don't understand it. Oftentimes we have no clue what the Lord is bringing us to. But it's like Pastor Mark said earlier, we look at the look behind us and we see how God has moved us through our, our years and our experiences and that time we've had in the presence of God. And we realize that, oh, Father, those things that seem to be so hurtful in, in the experiencing of it have brought me to the place where I am open before you. My heart is open. I want to yield my will that your will might be my will. And I tell you what, there's no greater blessing in life. We talk about the Beatitudes and that blessed man, that person who finds the blessing of God in his life. And it's that presence of God and the knowledge and the, the sense of security that he gives us and the confidence to go on in the midst of what seems to be terrible, fiery trial in our lives. And... Uh, you know, when you have this many people together, there are people who are struggling in so many different ways. And so much of what we see in the teaching of the, the music, the, the, the lyrics of the, of the music, the, the scripture that we read, all the way, it, it, it touches us in many different ways. And it's an amazing thing. It's the miracle of God's revelation of himself to human beings. Talk about diversity, and yet God meets us in such a marvelous way. It should just be uh, mind-blowing to us that our God meets us exactly where we must be met, and yet here sitting next to us may be someone that says, oh, God, you've met me in this, this time in such a way and how wonderful that is throughout the body of Christ, that God is meeting us daily, meeting us, and he will continue to do that 
And that's why we look at uh, uh, this, these thoughts. I want to take us once again to the book of 1 Peter uh, in, the, in the New Testament. And uh, I, this morning, I'm, I, my thoughts have to do with our, our growing up. We, we talked on Wednesday night about our lives uh, being in that process. God is, has us kind of in a school, in a t- kind of a training time all through our lives. And uh, uh, it is a divinely um, productive curriculum that God uses through his word, his holy word. It's beyond what we can even imagine or think, and yet God takes his word to us, and he causes us to grow as we yield to him and identify that his way is best because his way is perfect. And so today I have just in the bulletin endeavored to give the idea that suffering produces obedience to the will of God in the life of the believer. That always comes to me as kind of a challenge because, you know, obedience isn't an easy word. It never was for me. And yet I have found that in my life, that obedience before my heavenly Father is absolutely the only way to go. And so as he trains me and tries me through the refining fire of life itself, why I trust that one day brings me through and there's a, there's a, a, a place that I find that is beyond where I was before. And it's only out of God's grace that he enables and strengthens each step of the way, as Paul says, from glory to glory in this world, in this life. And so today, as we look at this scripture, I want us to just focus upon uh, these thoughts about um, uh, how God grows us up through trials and how our attitude so often uh, lends the effectiveness of God's trying us. In other words, when we yield to him, we're enabled to find that strength and that growth in that time. God uses many ways to uh, help us in this area of growth. And uh, all of you, if you are Christ's own, if you have been bought with the precious blood of the lamb, if you are Christ in Christ, this morning, then you have been enrolled in God's training process for life. And so we go to the Word and we see what that means. And, and I know for some of you, you've been there, you've done this, you've read this, you've studied this, you probably could tell me some wonderful different aspects of this and facets of this gem of this portion of Scripture. However, God desires that we remember. He is giving He's given to us opportunities that we may grow through remembering and seeing those things, just like last week when we shared around the table of the Lord. That is so that we may grow, that we may be reminded of Christ and his love and his great sacrifice to us in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and the fact that he lives and dwells within us through the Holy Spirit even today. And so we should be encouraged, not discouraged, and we should be challenged then as we see the different ways God tries us or proves us to be his own. 
and, and to refine us. And that, that doesn't mean he's proving that we are his, but that he is proving us, he's testing us to bring strength and solidarity and all that it takes to live in this life in victory. When I talk about victory, I mean the believer walking according to God's desire and his will and finding that walking and that onward uh, uh, movement that we make in this life to be that which uh, exercises and we become strong in our spiritual muscles and we can handle the trials of life for they just make us even stronger. Sometimes they bring great weariness to us, and sometimes great grief. But there is a result in the trials of our lives that draws us closer to the Savior and gives us that sense of who we are. In God's marvelous plan of redemption for a people, his own, it's the church. So I want us to look, if you would, at First uh, Peter chapter four, and just I, I want us to um, uh, uh, just look briefly. Something we looked at on Wednesday night to begin even this whole idea of struggle connected with life is in the first verse of chapter four, and it says, "For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind." For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. In other words, those things that were once so important and which, encomp- which just uh, trapped us and which were like a snare in our lives and, and uh, uh, caused us to be prisoners to our wanter, our desires, rather than to be obedient to Almighty God and to live our lives at His command and in His fullness, why uh, we are reminded that, that God is doing this for our benefit. And so we are to arm ourselves, and we arm ourselves as we learn to know our God. And how do we learn to know him? How do we learn about the Lord or who our Lord is? It's through the word, the precious word of God. So learn to arm yourself daily through the word of God so that your mind may be the mind of Christ. Your mind may be uh, uh, given that impetus for living and for going on and for the struggle and for the battle of life based upon your perspective from God's word itself. His vision becomes ours. And our actions then become a reflection of his life in us. And that's when the church makes a difference in the home and in the world and the life in the place of work and in the school and in the church. And so we look at this. And Now, if you go, would you go to verse 12? And I want to read just um, a couple of verses here. Verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, 
or blessed as they as the word was used in Matthew's gospel for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you on their part he is evil spoken of but on your part he is glorified glorified and so our lives are to have that focus that marvelous focus upon our God and our living should follow suit and be in line with God's word in this whole idea of obedience or being subject to the heart and the mind of God as we live our lives. And it's glorious because he moves us in that glorious truth and in that glorious relationship that he gives to us and establishes because of Calvary. How marvelous it is to walk in the Lord. And so here we, uh, uh, we find some very interesting things that are instruments of growth for us. The first being in, in uh, uh, John chapter 3, you know that marvelous portion of Scripture, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And we see then that the, the Christian life actually begins with a spiritual birth. I'm... I'm uh, so saddened when I see so many uh, people who are, are uh, sensing that they are in worship of Almighty God and they're going through some kind of a, a, a ritualistic idea that is fine in itself and the glorious truth of the, the ritual brings in the truth of God's word in a marvelous way. But because it has become such a a, a, a pathway, a chosen pathway to God, there is nothing personal in the response to the marvelous truth of God's word. I don't know if that comes through the way I want it to, but I have seen it very close up, and I have seen it in my own life if I uh, decide that I want to uh, to reach God on uh, my own terms, I will use uh, the instrument maybe of his word or some idea that I have that I think is well-rounded uh, in a scriptural thought, and yet never going to the Savior and identifying myself as a person of weakness and that I cannot know him unless he reaches out to me. We have a world that is trying to reach God as they know God. And that is a, a tremendous struggle. But here, the Christian life, as we look back into the Gospel of John, we see that there is a beginning of, of life, of Christianity, personal Christianity, Christ, personal belief. And it is using that word believe, trusting, placing our full trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not anything I can do. Not my hoping that I am doing things well. Not my obeying the, as well as I can, the Ten Commandments say. But walking in that, that knowledge and understanding that it is Jesus Christ who has paid my sin's penalty, who lifts me up to a different plane and enables me to commune with him 
And from that spiritual birth, then there comes that need to grow and to respond. And all of us here are in different stages of that spiritual walk. If we have been born again, then we have become children of God. And some of us are in infant stage, and some are in that middle range somewhere, and some are uh, kind of uh, Christian teenagers, you know, with you know how a Christian teenager thinks. And then some of us are, are, back, are, are, are moved up a little bit where we think we know it all, and then some of us are, are older Christians, and we realize, man, alive, somehow we've missed so much along this way. Oh, Lord, if I only had more time that I could see the more of a reflection of Christ in my life. But see, we go through life, and he gives us these marvelous instruments of growth. So God's plan is for birth and for growth and for maturity in the life. Well, how does God do that? He does it through his word. He uses the Bible. That's why as believers we must place that Bible not on our bedside table and leave it there, but we need to have it in our hearts and our minds. We need to be memorizing the word of God, memorizing the precepts of God and all the principles that God has given forth in his word. We need to be, our, our focus needs to be upon God's truth so that when all of this, the lies of this world are presented to us, we just don't dive into those lies, but we see the truth of God's word. How do we do it? It has to be down in our hearts. So we take God's word, a marvelous instrument of growth. The church is another, the body of Christ. And when I, I say the church, I think of the local church. Now this, is, this Calvary is the church only as God's people come together. But this body has been given to us as a marvelous instrument of growth for each one of us individually, but corporately as well. And that's why we gather, and that's why we lift up our voices together. That's why we pray together. That's why we open God's word and we feed upon it together. And then when we're in the midst of sorrow, or when we're in the midst of dilemma, or when we are hurting financially, or when we are, are in trouble relationally, whatever the, the problem may be, the body then begins to come together. And God has chosen this instrument to help us grow up into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Other believers mature us. I think of people in my life that have had such a, a blessing and, and, uh, and have brought me in, in a sense to a, a place of more maturity. And I think of a grandmother or a granddad or a mom or a dad or, or an aunt or, or some special person when I was a little boy in a, in a local church that took time to teach me and give me direction. God uses the church. He uses believers, other believers, to mature us. But then he also uses trials and struggles Trials to bring us to maturity, to refine us. And when we think of the word refine, if you're like I am, you always think of fire, heat, some causation to being melted 
or softened or cleaned up, purged like gold or silver. We sang about that in one of the songs this morning. God uses these things, these trials in our lives to, to bring us to uh, maturity, spiritual maturity, and, and uh, uh, to refine us. And, and then there's to be a, a, a fine product that is the result of it. It is not just so God can see us hurting or squirming or crying or uh, turning even to him. It is so that he may bring forth the gold of our lives and minister to others to be a reflection of Christ. That's why Job says, He knoweth the way that I take. And when he hath tried me, when he hath refined me, I shall come forth as gold. Oh, but that's costly. And there are many times that you say, I don't want to pay the cost. And yet as God brings us along, we realize that he never expects us to do too much or more than we can do. He always enables us and always brings forth the beauty of Christ in those who are willing to obey his call in their lives. Well, look at verse 12, if you would, just quickly. It says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Christians have trials. We should not be aghast when God allows us to walk in a trial. And yet my human reaction is always, to think it's strange. This is strange. I don't understand, O oh Lord. And I don't have to understand, do I? Because part of the song that Anna played is, His way is best. His way is best. So I surrender. And the gold begins to shine in my life. Not for my glory, but for the glory of my God. So think it not strange. You know, we have trials because we live in a, a sinful world. If you look back to Romans chapter 3, that marvelous portion of Scripture um, says that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. We have missed that mark, so to speak. Somehow we think sometimes we have our lives kind of like a bow and an archer takes that bow and he is aiming high and yet we always miss the mark. How frustrating that would be. And yet God's word tells us we fall short of the glory of God. We live in a sinful world. We reflect this sinful world in the philosophies of this world. We're part of a fallen race. And so we live in a world of turmoil, utter turmoil and, and, and natural disasters and all these things that test us and try us and, and cause us to question and wonder. And yet, the believer who is growing and being refined is able to say in the midst of the storm, Oh God, 
I don't understand it all. But I praise you that you are with me in this time. Do what you would do in me that I might be gold. We live in a world today of fallen men. We live in a world today of crime. I was just at the grocery store the other day and I was at the and I was right up here in Soxty. You know, this is a nice little peaceful piece of property. I live down the way in Forestbrook almost to 501. And and this guy comes up and I and I had gotten some soap for my mother-in-law. It has to be a special type of soap and I bring but I didn't think it was special. I take it and put it on the counter and and I said to the girl, why is that in a lockbox? It was in a big old plastic, a bar of soap. And, and uh, the guy behind me says, oh, they have to do that. They have to, this is a horrible neighborhood. This is terrible. You lock everything up, lock everything down. Well, I understood. I understand that. And, and so it just uh, gives me a, a picture that I do live in a world where crime is rampant. And this, that's petty, I know, but there are a lot of other things that go on in our community that would relate this truth. We live in a world of crime. We live in a world of sickness. People are sick all around us. We live in a world of death. I had the funeral a few weeks ago of a man who had been involved in the city and on the, the council there, and um, I, you know, when I first was asked to do this, I was kind of thinking, this, this out of my field, you know, I'm used to just regular folks. And, but when I met this family, I realized, man, this, this bunch is a wild bunch of people from Loris. That, it's true, he was from Loris originally. And I'm not putting Loris down, it's just, you know... Um, if you're a Yankee, well, you think, oh, South Carolina, you know, that's just, if you're a South Carolinian, that's greatly offensive, so. And, but we live in this world and in this, this atmosphere where we must, we have to lock our houses. We have to take our, our, lock our cars at night. We have to be careful of our children out in our neighborhoods. Myrtle Beach is changing. The world is changing. It used to be in my neighborhood, my kids ran all day. All they had to do is eat breakfast and be home for supper. Now, one of my children who has children won't even allow the grandchild to go out of my driveway. It's changed. You know it's changed. What is happening is we're seeing that as the end of the age comes that there is an increase in an attitude, an overall attitude, and we see it in America. We see it in our own society, our beloved country, our nation. We see changes that are making us sick. But God's in control. He knows best. And you see, his plan is being carried out right now in the midst of it all. And we 
have trials because of the power of the enemy of the cross, Satan himself. He is a powerful enemy. God's word tells us that we have that, personally have that, that adversary, Satan. You just consider his attack on Job, who said, he, he knoweth the way that I take, and when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. This man knew trial, and he knew struggle. And in Peter chapter 5, this next chapter, in verse 8, Mark read that earlier, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And how will he devour the believer? He'll destroy your testimony, folks. And he keeps enslaved the millions of people around us. And he will destroy your opportunity to be light in the darkness of this world. We are on a collision course with this world. John chapter 15, Jesus warned of this conflict. When you go through the book of Hebrews, go to the the 11th chapter of Hebrews and you find this marvelous list of people uh, who have suffered and died for Christ. We call them heroes of the faith. Christians have trials. You have trials. And if you haven't had one this week, you're going to have one this week. How do you approach it as a believer? Do you get mad? Do you get angry at God or, or uh, the guy driving next to you or your wife or your children or your neighbor or your boss? Or We can react that way. And yet, over it all, we must have this understanding that God does what is right. And it's our responsibility to fall in line with his way. So Christians have trials. This is one of the ways God brings us. This is a truth of the word of God, folks. But there's something else here. Look at verse 13. It says, But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. What's going on in your life right now that is bringing you, in a sense, challenging your, your position in Christ, your, your knowledge of your position in Christ, and bringing you down and making you shaky and feel like, I cannot go on like this. But you see, even in the midst of that, we see that Peter is calling us to joy. He's calling us to be part of that, the blessed of Matthew 5. He says, rejoice, be happy. And I'm talking about that in that idea of that blessed and and, uh, that whole idea of, of being blessed is the knowledge and the understanding that I am in the very center of God's care. 
and he is in control. And so his joy floods my soul in the midst of even the anguish of personal grief and loss. How can that be? How can that be? But you see, he doesn't say, oh, come on, folks, would you try to rejoice? He says, rejoice. Rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. In other words, rejoice in the fact that you have been given the privilege to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ and identify with him. We don't suffer alone. Hebrews 13 assures us that we're not alone. And the marvelous thing is we actually become partakers of Christ's sufferings. We become so separated from Christ's sufferings, and in reality, the sufferings we experience in our daily living should be identified if we are his children, identified with his obedience to the Father's will. And we become partakers of Christ's suffering. Acts 16, let's go there. I just want to go there quickly, if you would. Acts chapter 16. This, is, um, this relates something that I think is important for us to understand, that sometimes we look at our, our Bible heroes and we somehow separate them from ourselves. But, but look at this. It's Paul and Silas. And go to verse 25 of 16. And let's see, go to 32. 25. Here are these... these um, these men, these godly men have been presenting the gospel and they have been dealing with people and they have been pouring out their souls. They love people. They love the message of the gospel. They, they live to obey God. They're soul winners. They're hungry that people know the truth of God's word. And you know what? You think, man, that is a blessed life. But you know what? They were arrested and, upon, and, and then, if you look th back through these verses, they were, they were taken in and they were, they were beaten to a pulp. Many stripes upon them. They suffered greatly and then they were taken and they were put on the inside, very interior of the prison and their feet in stocks because they thought there might be an uprising to free them. Then look at verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. In the first place, I can understand praying when you're hurting and you're, you're, the blood is drying and begin. Uh, and they sang. They sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and, and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Suffering. 
these men were giving to us an example of finding joy in a time of great difficulty, physical discomfort and pain. Joy. That's crazy. No, it isn't, is it? There is a design in your difficulties. I'll take you back to another, Romans 8. You know this perhaps by heart. Just keep that in mind. God has designed even the fiery trial. So there is a a divine design for the difficulties I find, the struggle that I find. Just look at these two verses. Uh, Verses 8, 28 and 29. And we know. Have you thought about it? You say this, if you know this verse, you say it. And we know that all things work together for good. Do we say that from a believing heart? All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed, here it is, conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. That's God's desire. And here were men who had been doing the faithful work, the task that God had given them to do, and they were arrested, they were beaten up, and they were put in, in the middle of a stinking prison, and their feet were bound, their lives were in jeopardy, They began to pray and they began to sing and they began to rejoice that they had an opportunity to serve Jesus this way. It was a divine design. He called them for that hour. He called them to obedience. He called them to know him and to walk with him in such a way that their lives would be his to control. Well, you, you look back in that same chapter and you see in, in verses 17 and 18, it's very clear that after our, our trials will come glory. God promises that glory in our lives. There's another truth I want you to see here quickly. Look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. The blessed knowledge that God is perfect and that his way is perfect applies to my life as I yield myself to him. 
You see, God is with us even in the midst of any struggle that you're having. Any struggle. You might have financial trials. Well, maybe you've made some poor financial decisions. Sometimes our financial woes are completely out of our hands. But you know what? We're to give God in faith all that we have. Whether it's a negative in the bank or if it's a positive in the bank. But in our hearts and lives we give to him. Financial trials teach us to care and to give even when there seems like there's nothing to give. God teaches us so much. Happy are ye. Christians have trials concerning their health. I, I, I think of, um, of the words of Fanny Crosby are probably familiar to you, uh, many of you. And uh, do you realize she was blind? Blind. And yet some of the greatest songs of great joy, personal testimony of great joy, come from the pen of this lady who was blind. Another, if, you're, if you enjoy poetry, you may have seen some of the writings of Annie Johnson Flint from a perspective of God in a life. She suffered so with rheumatoid arthritis, she was crippled up. And yet, we see from this woman's life, there comes a great joy that has nothing to do with physical well-being. It has to do with spiritual well-being. You see, God never promises us perfect health, does he? But he calls us to the fiery trial for a purpose and for a, a very definite reason. And when we yield to him, he brings gold out of the trial. And I'll tell you something else. When you suffer in one way and you find another believer suffering in that way, you have a marvelous ministry of comfort. Not only on health issues, maybe even in relationship issues. God uses these things to enable us to minister the truth that God is with us and in the midst of it all. Even your families. A lot of us have trouble with families, you know, people in our families. And people who are faithful suffer so many ways. You know people who are fine believers, fine, and yet their, their children or their grandchildren are, are wandering far from the teaching of Christ, from Christ himself. That is suffering. But God brings that into our lives. That we may learn in the midst of it all, in the suffering, to rejoice in the person of our God. In the midst of it all. You can keep going with this list. I won't. How are you doing so far in the, the school of 
trials that God puts before us. I trust that you are finding that you're growing stronger and that your level is a higher plane, not a lower plane, through it all. Trials, the fiery trial, can mean many tears. It can mean a broken heart. God won't reject a broken heart. He uses a broken heart and he mends that broken heart with himself. I would just say to you today, please look to the Lord Jesus in your particular trials. Jesus understands us. He suffered in a far greater way than any of us would ever think possible. And he does it that we may enter in and he may enter into our lives. I um, heard this on, on the radio the other day and I, I can't remember who it was I was traveling and then I looked up online who, um, uh, what had happened in that program and I believe this, this may have been Charles Stanley, but it was an old message that he had given. But listen to this. He says this, The most fertile time of spiritual growth for most Christians comes during a time of suffering, of crisis, illness, persecution, loss, pain, rejection. Suffering is the means God often uses to perfect us and to create in us the true character of Christ. That's why I went back to the first two verses of chapter 4. As we walk with Christ and we open ourselves completely to him and say, Lord, you have your way in my life, then you, by faith, you walk in that way, and you, midst the tears, midst the struggle, miss the mountain, to, uh, uh, in the midst of the, the mountaintop experiences of joy. You walk with him, and you allow him to do what he wants to do in your life. This is for the believer. If you're not a child of God today, I would just urge you. To simply trust what Christ has done and finished on your behalf. He's finished it. You simply believe and you walk in that truth. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Christian, there are going to be more trials coming our way. We need to go at it with that mindset that Peter gives us right here. 